All right. Well, whether it's a paper Bible or your phones, I encourage you to please get them out um, and turn to Galatians. I will do the Bible reading for today's passage, which is Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. Okay, Galatians chapter 2. All right, Paul opposes Peter. Okay, so when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it, then, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through, sorry, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Okay, and with that, let's welcome Joe to give us today's sermon. Thank you very much, Pam. And thank you to the three people that are interested in hearing what I had to say today. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that immensely. I'm going old school today. I actually have paper, paper notes. Um, I just, I don't know, feel like an old man today. So I'll, I'll do that. Um, there's a place, I, I was thinking about it just when I was sitting down, there's a place near Richmond called Freeman's Reach. Now, you can actually Google about Freeman's Reach. I didn't, I was just thinking about it now, I was remembering what Pastor Roger, so Pastor Roger actually told me the story because he lives out that way. But Freeman's Reach is the suburb out that way where it's on the other side of a river. And the reason why it's called Freeman's Reach is because due to Australia's, let's say, colourful history with various people that had uh, sort of reputations of ill repute, okay? Um, if they could actually make it across this river whilst they're being chased by the official lawmakers, if they reached this certain part across the river, then they had earned their freedom. So when they reached that point, they were considered free men. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the book of Galatians, in which we've entitled this series, Living Free. And much like the struggles that these guys had trying to cross the river, you may be experiencing various struggles in order to experience freedom in living as well. The newness that's been given to us in Christ by his authority, the authority that has imparted us, that he's imparted to us, and the deliverance we've received from this present age. 
then we had to be aware of the dangers as well because once you reached that freedom, there were still struggles. They still had to survive, still had to live, but to be able to live as free men. And therefore, there were dangers that they had to be aware of. So with us as Christians, as we seek to live in the freedom granted to us in Jesus, we have to be aware of the false teaching that is promoted. We have to be aware of false teachers that have our eyes focused upon them as opposed to upon Jesus Christ. And then we have to be aware of our own darkness and our own sinfulness, where we are to be, well, we seek to be pleasers of men rather than pleasers of God. So, how have you been going and seeking to live free? How have you experienced the freedom that has been given to you in Jesus Christ? And so, I'm going to open a word of prayer, and we're going to look at one verse today, one verse which I believe is the key to us living free. It's actually the key verse of this whole letter, and prayerfully the three things we can draw from it can enable us to avoid dangers and to experience the abundance and the fullness that can be found in living in Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much that there's no one else but you. We thank you that you are more than enough. Your grace is more than sufficient. You fulfill all our needs whereby we have no lack. And so we ask this morning that by your spirit, you will open our eyes to see the wonderful truths held within your scriptures, that you'll open our ears to your voice as you speak directly to our souls, and that you soften our hearts and give us the courage and the bravery to respond accordingly to the convictions you lay upon us. So we commit this time to you now. Speak to us here and at home for your glory and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. What I like about the book of Galatians, actually about a lot of Paul's writings, is how he, you see his heart. For example, we looked at the book of Thessalonians last year and we saw how Paul sought to encourage the church, especially with the return of Christ. We read in the book of Philippians how Paul seeks to bless this church and encourage them to continue in their mutual love for the gospel and for the saints. And here is an encouragement and an exhortation to the churches at Galatia to live free. To live in victory. And we see how after his conversion in chapters 1 and 2, we see this progression of what takes place after he meets the Lord Jesus. You read in verse 17 of chapter 1 how he didn't actually go to any of the other disciples, but he went to Arabia. He didn't check in with the disciples until later, and that's in verse 18 of chapter 1. He met only with Cephas, or Peter, and with James. That's in verse 19. He speaks to how these false teachers had infiltrated the church and had sought to bring them back into slavery in chapter 2, verse 4. And now he was more concerned not with his reputation before men, but with the beautiful truths of the gospel and the proclamation of that gospel. His acceptance by the apostles didn't actually take place until later when they saw his transformed life by the supernatural message of the gospel when they saw the message that he proclaimed and they welcomed him and extended to him the right hand of fellowship. What I really like is how it doesn't matter who you are, what position you may hold, you are always susceptible to the human heart. You see how he corrects Peter, how Peter got drawn away by the other people around him and he started falling back into this whole legalistic attitude by saying, no, no, you, you need to be circumcised. 
And Peter said to him, no. And no, Paul said to Peter, should I say, no, and withstood him to his face. Why? Because he strayed away from the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that it comes by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And, and he stands up to Peter, one of the, the top people in the church, I guess you could say, and he says, no, you can't do that, which I think is absolutely amazing. But of all of the verses, like I said, it is verse 20 we're going to look at today of chapter 2 because there are three beautiful things that you and I need to be able to comprehend, need to, to be able to understand and apply so that we can order, so that we in order to live in freedom, to reach that freedom before us. That's why it's aptly termed crucified with Christ. So verse 20 begins in this manner. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I call that a willing death. It's very similar to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he says we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. It's a willing offering, a willing death. Now, I'm not a literary scholar. The language used here by Paul emphasizes a reality that you and I need to grab hold of. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's a statement in the past tense, not in reference to Jesus, but in reference to me in connection with Jesus. I have been crucified with him. There is an identifying by us with the acts and the works that Jesus did and the sacrifice he made on the cross at Calvary for us. Matthew Henry has got a wonderful quote. He says, For to believe in Christ crucified is not only to believe that he was crucified, but also to believe that I am crucified with him. You see... When one looks at what took place in the crucifixion of Jesus, we need to see how the forgiveness of sin is attained through the shedding of Jesus' blood. We read about how our redemption from sin's bondage is gained through his obedience. We read how our peace, our wholeness, our healing comes through his brokenness. And how the wages of sin, which is death according to Romans 6.23, is paid for by his death. That when I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for me, I become a part or a participant of his death as well. Now that's really strange. How does that work? It means then that the forgiveness that is gained through the shedding of his blood, I become a recipient of. That means the ex I experience the freedom or the redemption from sin's hold because of his obedience to death, even the death on the cross. I have a peace that transcends understanding, made complete in him, and I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. You see, this, this is not just a theological truth. This is a theological fact of our stance and where we stand before God in Jesus. 
It's beyond the human mind to fully comprehend, but it is right there in the scriptures for us to know, not only know, to understand, and in that understanding, have it change our lives. As weird as it, as it sounds, if I am crucified with Christ, technically, I am a dead man. I'm a dead man. And I am blessed as a dead man in that death and being crucified with Christ. Not just me, us, all who have trusted Christ to be their Lord and Savior. We are dead men and women in Christ and we are blessed because of it. Why? Two small points. One, I have the assurance of confidence that I will overcome in Christ. Romans chapter 6 verses 6 and 7 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Catch this part in verse 7. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And our crucifixion with Christ we have been set free from sin. We are experiencing freedom far more than Victoria at the moment. Yay! Yay! Oh, those Victorians. But we are experiencing freedom, not only here physically, but spiritually in Christ. We have been set free from sins, hold from sins, captivity. The recognition that our old self is dead means that we are no longer controlled, governed, or bound to, once, to what once held us captive. We were once slaves to our lusts and our passions, but in Christ, our lusts and passions were crucified with him. We are set free from those lusts and from those passions. Our anger doesn't need to hold us down anymore and control us. Our lust doesn't determine what I do and what I do not do. It doesn't draw us away. Our uncontrolled passion doesn't have to destroy our lives or our relationships with each other because we are, or we recognize, in the King James it says, we reckon ourselves to be dead in him. Those holds, those strongholds have been destroyed in Jesus' name. That doesn't mean you won't be tempted. Jesus was tempted. You saw that in Matthew 4. It doesn't mean that we'll never fall. David fell, 2 Samuel 7. But what it does mean is that when we are tempted, we can overcome by the power and authority of Jesus' name. We are told this, that there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man but God is faithful who will with the temptation will the, with the temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it and when we fall we have been given the privilege and the avenue to confess our sin and repent for he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness 
we have an assured confidence to overcome in Christ. We are free men and women in Christ, no longer slaves. And because we are no longer slaves, that's the second part. Two, we have the blessing of walking in fruitfulness. As we live out this theological truth that anyone who has died is free from sin, we can see the expression of this death by the choices that we make. For example, we are told to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, Romans 8.13. To put to death, therefore, pardon me, Put to death the mysteries of the flesh. Put to death, therefore, whatever bring, belongs to your earthly nature. Colossians 3.5. Put off the old man, Ephesians 4.22. And like the apostle Paul, to die daily, 1 Corinthians 15.31. You see, in the decreasing of me, there is an increasing of Jesus. That's what John the Baptist said in John 3. For the principle Jesus teaches and demonstrates is this, that in death to the world, there results in life. In Christ. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said this Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's in death we have life. It's in our death we gain life in Christ. In the economy of God, He works completely backwards. No, no, sorry, that's wrong. We work completely backwards to the economy of God. How the economy of God works, it says that it is more blessed to give than receive. In the economy of God, you find that you have to lose to find. It's in the economy of God that it's in weakness we find strength. In the economy of God, in order to become great, one must become a servant. And it's the reason why when one reads this definite truth of being crucified with Christ, we discover this seemingly contrary thought. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter, 11 verse, sorry, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says this. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us. But life is at work in you. It's amazing how death and life are at work in us within the same time. The grace of God is such as that my death of my old man, my death of my old nature is replaced with the life that is found in Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important and it's encouraged day in and day out that you and I have our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because we are crucified with him. Yes, the King James says this though. There's one of these contrary thoughts. It says, I'm crucified with Christ in the King James. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, as we read in the second part here, but Christ lives in me. So not only do we have what we call this uh, willing death, we have a different life. There is a happening that takes place within our hearts, within the lives of people, that there is this being born again of his spirit. There is this, this new goal. There is this new standard to live by. There is this new way of thinking. And in this different life, sorry, now that there is this different life that happens, I am now a different person in Christ. See, my old man is dead. My old goals have changed. 
It's different now. It focuses on different things. It focuses on living for the glory of God as opposed to living for the glory of self. It seeks to exalt the person of the Lord Jesus instead of my own personal accomplishments. It depends on the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit instead of my own talent and resources and abilities. I mean, you look at Ephesians 4 at the, extract, at the instructions that are given to us and how we are to live this different life. We read in verses 17 to 32, I'm just going to touch on verse things. In, in verse 17, Paul says this to the Ephesian church, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In verse 17, it says that. I'm just going to read. You can turn to Ephesians 4 if you want. It says in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And then you go into verses 25 to the end of the chapter with these practical things that are, that are connected with this different life. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, verse 25, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin, and verse 27, do not give the devil a foothold, verse 28, steal no longer, but you must work with your hands, and verse 29, no unwholesome talk, but only what is helpful for building others up, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 31, get rid of all malice, sorry, all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, and verse 32, to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, as God, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now I do not know what you are like before you became a Christian. I don't know what you're like before you came to know Jesus, but I do know this about me. I was very selfish. I was very selfish. And people have described me in this way even now and called me a phony person. I can say without a doubt that before I became a Christian, I was quite phony. Much of what I did was governed by how it made me look in the eyes of others, how it made me feel, and how it benefited me personally. Now, I would have considered myself a bad person, but in comparison to other people, I was probably pretty amazing. In comparison to God... I fell far short of his standard. Such, I am thankful for the grace that is bestowed upon me. But see, why is this so important to know and understand as Christians? Why is it so important for you and I to know that one, I am crucified with Christ, and it's not I that lives, but Christ lives in me. It's like that old song, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Woohoo! Okay, anyway. Sorry, it's a great song, but it's the truth. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the third thing is this, the reason why he lives in me, that the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a solid faith. It is solid because it is in Christ and not in myself. The different life comes not from trying harder, not from looking to my personal strengths. For in me, that is in my flesh, is no good thing. Rather, it stems from the King of Kings and from the Lord of Lords. The desire to make us his dwelling. What should I say? Not the desire. His desire to make us his dwelling place, to make us his abode. There is a translation here which I, I really like, and it changes the focus of this whole verse. Okay, um, 
Both of these are, are good translations. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to, trying to take away from one and, and uplift the other. But I really like the focus of these verses. And that is this one word. When it says, I live by the faith in the Son of God. That one word in, it could be either translated in or it could be translated of. But that one word portrays both of these truths. Both of these truths. The difference between faith in and the difference between the faith of the Son of God. Faith in. This is how Christ's life is lived through us. By faith in the Son of God who saved me from my sin, that comes from believing in God incarnate, that comes from believing that he was born of a virgin, that he was lived sinlessly, that he was crucified for my sin, that he bore the weight of God's wrath, that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins and died on a cross. My eternal security comes from believing he rose from the dead, how he was seen by witnesses, that he ascended into the heavens, and that he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within me. All who have placed their trust in him and what he has done on the cross, that's what takes place in this transformation of me being moved from darkness to light, me being made a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That comes from my faith in him. The capacity to have confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see, as it talks about in Hebrews 11.1, that can only exist because of our faith in Christ and that he is faithful. That is how we exist, our faith in him. But the reason why we can have faith in him is because of the faith of the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God. Or, how can I say this? You all sitting down here now, I've done this. I've done this in the past, I'll share it again. You're all sitting down there. You have placed your faith in the chair you're sitting on right now. The chair you're sitting on at home. You have placed your faith in that chair. That it will hold your weight. That it won't collapse at any time. That is your faith in something. What about the faith of the person who made the chair? The only reason you can have faith in that chair is because, in that made, because the person that made the chair was faithful to do a good job. So when we look at this, the life that we now live, we live by the faith of the Son of God. Our faith is the action that follows about what we know and believe about Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God. Thus, my life then would be lived in submission to him. I believe his spirit dwells within me according to the scriptures. Thus, I'll conduct myself in a way that brings honor as I step out in his power. I believe I'm a part of his body, the church, which I am, which means I will fulfill my role as a member of his body to ensure unity and growth. I believe the scriptures are God's word, his specific word that is quick and powerful, a sword that strikes down, his breath that gives life, his bread by which we are sustained. And the reason why we have all such things is because of the faith of him who promised such things. That he is faithful who promised. It holds substance because the foundation upon which my faith rests is the rock of Jesus Christ. 
You see, when I look at the faith of Jesus Christ, I see his willingness to pray, not my will, but thine be done. When I look at the person of Jesus, I see how he was obedient to death and that he enjoyed the cross because of the joy that was set before him, according to Hebrews 12.2. My salvation is secured, pardon me, my salvation is secured because of the truths and the promises that the Lord Jesus made and best of all kept and will keep because he fulfilled the word of God. My redemption, because Jesus was obedient. It's why Jesus' word says, because I live, you also will live. John fourteen nineteen. That's why it means so much. Because of the faith of the Son of God to God's word, to God's plan, and to God's people. It means so much here because Jesus died and rose again. We too are given that assurance that we will rise again from death. Now here's the thing. If that is what we believe, how then is that reflected by the choices that we make? I shared, I believe that the scriptures are the word of God. Then there are instructions in here that calls us for obedience. Then do we obey them? I am told within the scriptures about the body of Christ and our role within the church because of the faith of the Son of God for us to establish his people. How then am I meeting that? Do I believe where I am committing and obeying and following through or do I believe because it's convenient? This is what is laid before us, but it doesn't change. And this is the thing. I want to close with this because I'm going to try something a little different today. I want to close with this. What we believe doesn't change the reality of God's word. How we act doesn't change the truth of what he requires from us. And so my prayer is that have you, as you meditate on this one truth of being crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in, or the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. I pray that that would impress upon our hearts to be more than just a Sunday Christian, to be more than just one who goes through the motions but rather step out by faith to experience the greatness and the abundance and the majesty of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth that is found within your scriptures, that we are crucified with you, and because we're crucified with you, we are dead to the world, that sin no longer has control over us. Thank you for the victory over sin and over temptation because you died for us and rose again. Thank you so much that as our earthly man, as our man full of lust, our man of sin has been put to death, we thank you that in you we live, that we have life in Christ, life in newness, life in abundance, life of deliverance, life of power. Thank you so much for that new life so that we would no longer live according to our own ways and our own goals, but rather by the faith in you who loved us and gave yourself for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the privilege to be called your child. And I ask that you will go forward now by your spirit and impress upon our hearts to open our eyes and see the wondrous privilege and honor that's been bestowed upon us that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. 
So we ask you to dismiss us now. Bless everybody at home. Bless our time together in the word. And may you be glorified this day in each of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.